0: What's up, everyone? My name is Weston Brusso, owner and operator of WB Outdoor, and I am a hardscaper.
1: Welcome to the I am a hardscaper series on the How to Hardscape podcast, where we sit down and interview a hardscape business owner and do a deep dive on how they became a hardscaper and how they operate their business. Today's episode is brought to you by IQ Power Tools. They manufacture a comprehensive range of innovative power tools with integrated dust collection systems that you can check out at iqpowertools.com. Now let's get started with our interview with Weston of WB Outdoor. All right, Weston, let's get started. To get to know a little bit more about yourself, give our audience some context about you. How did you get started in this industry? Hey, Mike,
0: thanks for having me basically I got started in this industry, um, pretty thing. I just kind of, um, jumped into it and, um, that's the way I started. Um, I was about 18 years old when, when I started up in this industry, um, installing artificial grass and, um, from there, um, continued with the artificial grass. That was kind of our career path. And then, so, so jumping back, I will, uh, I'll tell you the story of kind of how we got into the turf and how that transitioned from turf to landscaping, to hardscaping. So when I was about 18 years old, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I always had a, uh, I always loved landscaping, landscape architecture building. Um, I was always kind of drawn to that. Um, you know, driving past like a job site or something you know, on the side of the road, I was always looking to see all the equipment and it looked like a lot of fun. And um, so I always kind of knew I wanted to do something, even high school. um, I took AutoCAD and I love designing. And um, so I was always felt like I I wanted to be in that industry. I didn't really want to go to college and do that. um, Go down that road as much. I, I kind of knew it wasn't for me. Um, I like to work with my hands. I like to build stuff. <clears throat> um, I guess growing up my, my father, he, uh, he laid carpet. He's a, he's a pilot, but, uh, he laid carpet. Um, and he was a, he's a carpenter. My grandpa was a carpenter. He, he laid tile and carpet his whole life pretty much. He's still alive, but um, not laying carpet anymore. <laughs> but, um, So my father taught my brother and I how to install carpet. And uh, every time we needed to like redo our carpet or something or our our family's carpet, or he would get like, you know, side jobs and stuff. And we would go out and do it when we were like, you know, 12 years old or whatever. And uh, so we kind of learned that trade. And I wasn't in love with that at all. You know, as a kid, you're just getting dragged along and you're like, ah, this sucks. You know, why do I have to do this? But, um, so uh, later on, after I graduated high school, I was working at a little Mexican cantina, a little restaurant, and I was just uh, washing dishes and doing a little busboy gig. And um, while I was working there, um, I got a couple little landscape gigs, and I would work for other people and do little maintenance things. And um, I, even one of the guys that worked there was a server, and he had a, like a side business a little landscape um, company. So I went out with him for a few months and did, uh, did some landscape maintenance and like, you know, reinstalled drip irrigation and plants and plants and stuff like that. And so that was kind of a little bit of an intro into landscaping besides just like working at our own house and, you know, sprucing things up with my dad or something. But um, so when I was working at that little cantina, it was in Fallbrook, California. So I'm here in Southern California. Um, I I live in Temecula now, but Fallbrook's just like ten minutes up the road where we used to live. And um, so, while I was working at that place, uh, there was a Fallbrook avocado festival going on. And uh, if if any of you guys don't know, this uh, Fallbrook's like the avocado capital of the world. I don't know if it still is, but it used to be. So, so they had this avocado festival. I think they still do. I haven't been in a long time, but they had a bunch of vendors lined up and, um, I was working, but my dad was there and he was strolling around and checking things out. And, and, um, he called me or something and said, Hey, Wes, I, they have a, a, a turf, um, vendor here. You should go check it out. They're looking for installers. And, uh, so I was like, okay, cool. And we had talked about kind of like getting into turf a little bit because it started becoming really popular. And we saw a lot of companies doing this work around us um, because we're in a very arid climate. Um, We're in, you know, pretty much, you know, in a desert zone here. So uh, we don't get a lot of rain and water bills are high. And so turf is kind of becoming a big thing for the residential landscape industry, not just like fields and sport fields and things. So anyways, uh, met some people over at the, uh, the turf vendor and, um, the company we worked with was a pregra artificial grass and, uh, they're still in with Costco. We don't work with them anymore, but, um, we worked with them for a long time, maybe, uh, 10 years or so. Um, so. Long story short, we met the owner. He's uh, he was the manufacturer. He he produced you know makes the turf out in Dalton, Georgia, and they ship it all all around the country and stuff. It was a really good product, and uh, it was it was like one of the best products at the time. And um, so, long story short, they, my brother Jake and I, um, got into it and. Um, they gave us a little bit of like an interview or rundown. We had dinner with them a couple times and, uh, they got familiar with us and they're like, all right, so we're going to send you guys up to Washington state from Southern California to Washington to install a couple of jobs and we're going to get you trained. And then from there, you know, we'll get you working with some other contractors, give you some more training and then, and then uh, you guys can take it from there or or you can just keep working with other contractors, whatever you want to do. So, so it was kind of cool, uh, you know, 18, 19 years old, we got to uh, take their company trucks um, up to Washington. There was a, a little box van, a little Chevy box van, like 1500, and then they had like an Isuzu uh, uh, truck that was all outfitted with um, boxes and the racks and everything, and then it had, we were towing a trailer full of turf and, headed up to Washington and um, installed two jobs for the two buyers of Costco. So they're the ones that kind of uh, were involved with Steve, the owner who got it all into Costco. And so it rained like every day that we were there, <laughs> maybe I for a couple weeks, but we were there for about a month and a half and probably because we we're really slow, but it was just my brother and I, Jake, uh, doing his job, shovel wheelbarrows, uh, lugging out the sod and up some like slippery, uh, muddy slopes, and then, um, installing the base. And we got a good, a good, um, amount of training there. And that's kind of how it all started. And, uh, you know, we kind of fell in love with it right off the bat. We felt like, I mean, I felt like I had more of a purpose than, than, uh, working at a Mexican cantina, you know, like get, getting to see, uh, your work, um, come to life and finishing a job was a really good feeling and I was kind of hooked from there so that's kind of where it all started.
1: Going from that initial install you guys you guys fall in love with the the turf installs it makes a lot of sense where you are we kind of talked about that before uh, in terms of you know turf is really popular there correct?
0: Yeah it's, it's super popular maybe too popular.
1: So that, that makes sense that you guys kind of pursue this. Where does the story go from there? in kind of embracing the artificial turf installations.
0: Um, so we continue to work for uh, some other contractors. They call them Praeger pros, um, the certified Praeger pros, that pre artificial grass would like, you know, they would do training seminars and then they would bring on more contractors and stuff. And so we met a few <clears throat> different contractors through those little training seminar things. And we would actually be training, uh, future Preger pros and stuff, which we would end up working for because they're licensed and they had companies already <clears throat> established. Um, so, so we started working for a guy, um, for, I don't know, maybe, um, on and off for a, a couple of years. And then we, we started working for another guy out in uh, Palm desert, which is just over the hill from us. And then, so. From, from Palm Desert, we started working in Palm Desert. Um, so we, we kind of had a little network of people we would, we would work for, me and Jake. And we, we started getting really good at it. And, you know, our skills were, were, were pretty well, uh, you know, we thought we were like the best in the business. <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't the case, but uh, we thought we were pretty good. And um, so, <clears throat> um, so we had a lot of different guys we could work for, which is really cool. Um, the guy Steve kind of set that up for us. So we always had work and, um, and then from there, we finally, uh, my brother, Jacob, he got the, um, he got a D 12, um, synthetic surfacing license. And, uh, here in California, that's basically like, uh, a, 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 license for synthetic surfacing. Like, uh, if you see like those playgrounds, commercial playgrounds that have like that rubber squishy, um, rubber underlayment stuff, um, and then artificial turf and it covers like drainage and base work and all that. So he got that license, which was kind of perfect for us. And then, um, we formed our company, uh, the turf boys, turf boys. And, um, so, uh, we were kind of joking around about that name when we were working, we're like, Oh, we're the turf boys. And, you know, throwing that thing around and then we're like, well, we got to figure out a name. So that just kind of came naturally. So we, we did that. And, um, we, we ran that company for, I would say six, I don't know, six, seven years up until about 2016 ish and um and we were doing really well with it um we had more work than we could handle um, a lot of good good jobs um once we we were in uh, we're in temecula california we went down the hill to like palm desert a lot and you know there's a lot of money down there like a lot of people have second homes and stuff and it's kind of a vacation spot and so we had a, a ton of work down there and uh so that was that was really a blessing you know and um So that kind of got us kickstarted. And then from there, you know, we had, we had a couple, two trucks, you know, we, every time we, we, we just saved and reinvested in our company and we had two trucks, two dump trailers at, you know, our, our peak, I guess you'd say, and we were able to kind of split up and start doing two jobs at once and things were going good. But right around, I don't know, 2016 or so, uh, my brother and I kind of had we started sort of having a little falling out because of, uh, I don't know, just because we're growing in different ways and we're getting older and I guess our needs weren't being met in certain ways. And, um, we were, I guess a lot of it was, um, like kind of financial too. When we started kind of spreading ourselves, thin, it started getting a little bit, a little bit rough. And, um, I kind of decided that I didn't, I didn't think that I wanted to keep doing artificial grass, not so much artificial grass, but I guess just being, being in a partnership was really wearing, wearing down me. Um, Jake, you know, started a family and he needed, he needed a little bit more, uh, more money. And I was like on a certain, um, budget. Like I, you know, I give myself a certain budget allocated like 500 bucks a week for, you know, working, 70 hours a week or whatever it was doing bids and and all the work and everything and you know we couldn't really come to an agreement on any on on financial stuff and that's kind of what sort of messed things up unfortunately but um you know it, it is what it is he's he's my brother I love him and uh we we kind of went our different ways from there um we're still on on good terms and everything but business with families can be kind of tough sometimes
1: where does the transition from artificial turf towards more like landscape hardscape installs how does that all fit into the picture like where where were you introduced to these uh hardscape more installs and and how does that kind of transfer into your business
0: yeah so um so during our uh turf our whole turf experience thing um you know, people would always ask us, Oh, well, while you're here, can you, um, since you're capping all of our irrigation or, you know, redoing our irrigation, can you, can you set a new irrigation system up and do plants and stuff too? And we'd say, uh, yeah, sure. So we started getting into a little bit more landscaping, just kind of dipping our toes in that thing. And, um, and then, um, when I broke off, I I got a a C27 landscape construction license, which kind of allows you to do, it's kind of like a general contractor of the outdoors sort of, because there's so much that you can do with that, you know, concrete building stuff and planting irrigation. It kind of covers covers a lot. So um, you can basically find a niche within that C27 license. And um, so, so that's kind of what I did. I, I just slowly started adding on little little things here and there and, and trying it out and seeing if I liked it or not. And so we started doing like more planting jobs and then um, slowly uh, started doing like little, little tiny paver jobs. We started doing a lot of like paver borders for our turf jobs um, just to kind of get familiar with and uh, just kind of kept pushing in that direction. Um, my wife, Kaylee, she made us an Instagram and she, uh, she made us an Instagram and I started kind of scrolling around, you know, and seeing how much, how, how many people there were out there that they were doing these, you know, awesome, um, hardscape projects. And I kind of, I didn't even know, um, all the tools and stuff that were available until I was just, you know, trolling around on Instagram and, and then it kind of opened up my eyes, uh, to the way that, uh, things can be done more efficiently with less people. And, And that's kind of what sparked my, um, sparked my interest to really start pushing towards that because I always loved hardscape. And I would, when we were doing our jobs, I'd see the other contractors come in and, you know, they would already be finished or be finishing like their paver jobs or concrete or whatever it is, their outdoor, you know, kitchens and all this stuff. And, I always wanted to get into that, but I just had no idea how to really, uh, break into it and started looking on Instagram and, uh, seeing some people do things with machinery. And, and from where, where I am, there's a lot of people I, I would see in my area, um, like people do paver jobs and I would see them come in with like 15 guys and just like shovel a wheelbarrow and, and doing base and I was just like how do they afford to you know make payroll for with all these guys like I don't even understand how it's it, so that kind of threw me off I'm like it just seems way too labor intensive I don't know if I could ever get into that I, I know how to do the turf and it seems very it, it, it comes kind of natural because I have I have a little background in that but with the pavers and some of the other hardscape stuff it seemed like it was super labor intensive but after going on Instagram and seeing some uh, other people using the right machinery and they have like three guys on the job like making it happen I felt like it was uh, it was actually possible and I, I would want to model my business that way so uh, slowly <clears throat> with the turf jobs and landscape jobs I started adding like little paver pathways and things like that and getting comfortable with it and then um, I guess it just kind of went from there
1: uh, a couple things, the contractor license in California, what is the process like uh, if for maybe somebody listening in that wants to get into what, what you're doing in California? What's the process like to get that, that license?
0: You know, it's, it's not too bad. Um, you do have to study for it. Basically, there's a, uh, there's a law exam and then there is a trade exam. So there's two tests you have to take and um I went through like a program I just I paid like 300 400 bucks I think because I was nervous about it and I was like I didn't really know what was going to be on there and so I went through it was I think it was called um what was it it was like get your get your contractor's license now or something and it was a I kept seeing signs like right in our town like all over and so I signed up for that class and they did some like night classes and stuff and I uh I went through that program and they just tested you on stuff. And then they gave you like basically online tests of, of the actual, um, contractors license exam. And, uh, so you could take the test as many times as you wanted and they give you like multiple versions of it. So every time you took the test, it would be like a different version with different questions so that you could kind of be uh, more ready for the test. And, um, so, I did that and then, um, took the test. So basically you have the the law and the, the trade exam. And from there, um, you go, you go into a little testing facility, take your test, and then you take the next test. So it's a couple hours long. So yeah, I, I passed the test. Thank God.
1: <laughs> and, uh, was it helpful was it helpful to go to that that pre uh you know that to pay for that uh that course that studying and to get yeah
0: yeah mike it definitely was um i'm not like a you know a huge academic you know kind of uh, like learning in a classroom is is probably better for me than like online learning um because you know i think there was like 10 people in the classroom at the time and um it was it was better for me because people could fire off questions and ask things real time and um, you could get explanations and things like that. And uh, they taught you the the law side of things and then the the trade side. Or actually, they didn't teach you the trade at all. Um, they would dip into it a little bit if you had um, your own questions about your trade, but it was more about the law. They would teach you and uh, you pretty much just had to memorize all that stuff because it's not really something you're going to have to use. You know in your career all the time you know it's good to know definitely and there are things that i have retained that that are definitely important but it's like llc versus incorporated and then there's like um uh, let me think about it like uh when you have a big job and you um you put a lien on someone for payment because maybe they don't pay or, or you do a preliminary notice saying that I have the right to lean your property. If you don't pay me basically like stuff like that, like, you know, it's good to understand some of that, the legal stuff, um, before getting into, um, you know, bigger projects where that might be an issue and especially commercial stuff where that's definitely uh, something you need to do. Um, so I would, I think, I think it was like 400 bucks or 500 bucks for that course. And it got me ready to take the test. And, um, so it was definitely worth it for me. I would suggest someone going through it, just just research the place that you're going through and make sure they're a good a good fit.
1: can we can we speak a moment on partnerships, uh, especially, not necessarily with a family member, but uh, I've never been in a, been in a partnership. I know some of the guys that have been on the show have. Uh, can you speak a little bit about the pros and cons of being in a partnership, some things that were great about it, some things that uh, are difficult and what made you kind of, you know, move into business on your own there?
0: Yeah, so um, I think partnerships are awesome thing if if you have them if you have it kind of dialed you know your partner well and you guys have a history and you work good together and um really grow and and last um because when you're when you're in a business partnership um you're you're basically married to that person you know in life because you have so much um so much involved in, in a business, as you know, you know, it, it, it's like part of your life. It's, it's, um, it's your livelihood. It's everything. So if the partner, you know, isn't maybe the perfect fit, it can be, it can be really tough and you'll have a lot of ups and downs, um, with my brother, you know, I don't know what it was. I guess it was just kind of like, I was the younger brother. So a lot of my opinions maybe, uh, were overshadowed sometimes. And I didn't feel like I was getting, uh, proper credit for maybe what i was doing and and he's just like you know older brother you know oh don't worry like you know i know what i'm doing and you know kind of stuff like that and um so for me though it was more like the the straw that broke the camel's back was more about uh, the finances of our company i, I kind of saw it going um going downhill and it was it was going in a a bad direction. Um, I was doing side jobs like, um, on the weekends and I was working like seven days a week for like four or five months straight just to try to keep my head above water. Cause we were kind of going in a, in a downward spiral. And, um, <clears throat> so it, it was really tough and I, I had a really hard time just, uh, you know, trying to, trying to cope with all that and hold it all together because it, it was a long time coming where it was, it was kind of going in that direction. And, um, I think what, what did it for me was, um, you know, I was trying to have, uh, both set kind of boundaries with, uh, with our finances. And I would say, Hey, like, I only want like $500 a week. To pay my personal bills and for me to have like you know my spending money and my grocery money and stuff like that you know it's not it's not too much to asked for for a you know business owners to take that from the company you know so that's what thousand bucks a week four grand a month you know I think we a little bit more because he has a you know a wife, but you got to pull out you know business when you want unexpectedly because because I have no control over that at that point. So that's that's kind of what did it for me. I, I just wanted to have, um, you know, a common uh, agreement that we could, you know, have that arranged so that we we would know what we can afford and not afford and things like that. And uh, towards the end, <clears throat> I was doing like side jobs just to kind of pay myself and and kind of stack up a little bit of savings for myself, a little safety net because I was I was a little bit worried about what was what was happening and then. Towards the end, you know, um, you know, we we had the conversation many times, and at the end, he, you know, a lot of money was spent again, and we were having trouble making payroll, and it was just like I I couldn't handle the stress anymore. So, I you know I was funding I funded the payroll a couple to the last couple times with my own you know side money jobs you know that from money from from my side job stuff I was funding payroll and then. You know so that all came out of my pocket and then at that point I was I was done. <laughs> so it was uh it was tough. Um you know I kind of wish it it didn't have to be that way because if if we did have a you know a good understanding of business and and um and that sort of thing uh I think we could still be you know together you know probably further on than I am on my own but it is what it is and I learned a lot from for my first uh, business. All those, all those tough times have kind of led me to, you know, prepare myself for, for our future businesses and, and things like that. So um, now my, my wife, Kaylee, she's kind of my business partner now. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I, I think everyone, if, if you, you know, you have a wife or something, they're probably going to be involved in some way. So, they're going to help you whether they're not in, they might have something else going on, but they're going to help you make those business decisions and you need someone, I think in any business to kind of sound off your ideas and, uh, make sure that you're on the right track. You're not just like thinking alone for yourself because uh, it it can be tough, you know, making, making big decisions on your own. So my wife now is, is fully immersed in the business. She quit her job about eight months ago and uh she had a good job and she decided to quit her job to to help our business thrive so it's been a it's been a great experience and um we're we're happy she did it was scary but um because we kind of depended on some of that income but now uh it's been going well and she even comes out in the field and helps and so it's been it's been a good journey
1: It's always good to get, uh, you know, it seems like most contractors have those uh, financial things that catch up to them. And it's a really good learning experience, especially when you're young and especially like you uh, starting, you know, fresh with a new business. Now, talk to us about that progression from that job, from, you know, starting to decide to get into hardscapes, to get into more offering more services to where you are now, talk about that progression. What did that look like? Where were the jobs coming from? How did you get those jobs and line those jobs up? What was that progression like from from that time until where you are now? Okay,
0: yeah, sure thing. Um, so, so the progression of uh, from turf to landscaping to hardscaping was uh, was pretty slow. You know, it was just like one step at a time. Um, I didn't just try and like go bid a big hardscape job and, and go tackle it right away. It was a, it was a slow progression. Uh, Like I said, I, you know, saw a lot of people doing stuff on Instagram and it kind of sparked my interest. And um, like, I started doing a lot of paver edging just for our turf jobs and it it was really nice because I could tie into like an existing uh, paver uh, patio that they already had. I'd go get the same pavers and, you know, do all the edging that way and concrete them in and, it was just kind of a nice little accent to, to like the, to finish off the yard properly. Um, and then we started doing little, little paver walkways. Most of the jobs we did were like for, you know, friends or, uh, some family and stuff. Um, uh, I even did my own little paver walk, uh, paver patio here at the place I live. Um, and then, uh, so, just kind of experimenting with different pavers and, and different paver combos and stuff that we, we thought was looked nice. And, and then, uh, uh, I don't know, I, I guess uh, we did a lot of like smaller, small patios and then um, and some walkways. And then from there, uh, I don't know, I guess just word gets out or something. And um, I, I changed some stuff on our website as well. I, I kind of changed the way we were branding our, our old company. So I, going back to, I guess, from EcoTurf, when we started EcoTurf, um, it was just EcoTurf, Inc. And then, uh, so I, I added some stuff to our website and kind of rebranded things a little bit. And I, I made like, uh, I made our website a little more inclusive with things. And I said, um, I added like landscape construction to it and then I added pavers and some services to it. So if, if I did a job estimate or something for some pavers, um, at least they could go to my website and see that we offer pavers and we're not just a turf company, landscape company or something. So I think that helped a little bit. Um, I tried to to start gearing us towards, um, hardscapes. So basically just kind of started little by little adding it to our, our list of things we did. And, um, Slowly started getting better job leads and um, word of mouth. You know, do a good job and someone else would refer someone and in our area, and we just started getting better jobs. And as we got more comfortable, we took on took on bigger jobs as we went.
1: You mentioned the rebranding. Where does that like what what, what came into that decision? What made you want to rebrand from Ecoturf to uh, WBO Tours? At the time,
0: like when uh, my brother and I kind of had a falling out and, um, I, I sort of had to make, make a quick decision on, um, you know, continuing my career and, and, um, jumping from, from our partnership to my own thing. And, um, knowing that like turf was, was pretty much our, our biggest, our biggest seller and what we did. And that's, that was where most of the money was. And we were really good at that and efficient. Most of our jobs were turf jobs. I wanted to just like do some, you know, some kind of, I should have just done WB Outdoor from the beginning probably, but I was worried that I wouldn't like attract the kind of customers that I wanted. And, and I wasn't really ready for the hardscape thing yet at that point. So I ended up doing it from uh, Turf Boys. I started a company our company name was uh, EcoTurf. And, um, and then I added landscape construction to it just to kind of make ourselves a little bit more uh, diversified, I suppose. And uh, so from there, you know, we started getting a lot of like retaining wall projects and, and nothing to do with turf at all. So, so from there, I just, I was, From the beginning with the eco turf thing, I kind of felt like I made a little bit of a mistake just sticking with the turf, you know, I didn't really want to go in that direction because most of the the calls we get like from just random calls up from online, you know, is just, can you install some, some grass at my house? And, and it's not the kind of attraction I wanted. All of our referrals were always good, but. You know, I kind of wanted our whole name to encompass what we really do, and I didn't want to continue with this name that's kind of marginal and minimalizing or whatever. What uh, what we're trying to do with our company, we're we're going in a different direction now. So, I figured I might as well do this now while I'm young before uh, you know it's too late. And then we build this brand of EcoTurf and it's still all about the, the grass and stuff, and then then the uh, the hardscape and the whole the whole design build aspect of things, so I, I decided, you know, let's let's do it. It took a long time. It's it took about six months um, to get it all finalized. It was like IRS and EDD and you know CSLB and all this stuff. So we just kind of waited till everything was all said and done. And now now we get to do the fun stuff and and uh, you know come off the logo and redo the website, which. Which should be fun. I I hope so.
1: (laughs) I just want to take a moment from today's episode to thank our sponsor, IQ Power Tools. They began by building tools to solve their own job site dust problems. Fast forward to today, the company continues to combine intensive research and industry knowledge with a completely updated approach. The result? Innovative tools that eliminate dust in water while creating a more efficient workforce. IQ Power Tools envisions a future where their innovation helps create a 100% dust-free environment. Job sites are safer, work practices are healthier, and the construction industry becomes even more sustainable. Their national War on Dust Tour begins this summer. Visit www.iqpowertools.com to see when they'll be in your neighborhood. Now back to our episode. I like that you mentioned as you're sort of starting to transfer into this outdoor living space, uh, hardscape installs, uh, saying no to the jobs that are coming in that you're, you're you know, you're, you're wanting to push aside to take on the projects that you want to grow into, uh, that can be especially difficult, uh, especially as you're doing your business and having employees and, uh, saying no is, is probably one of the hardest things I've come across in, in my business. Right.
0: Definitely. And, uh, but I think saying no can, can push you in the direction you want to go. So it's, it's important to learn how to say no sometimes and stop chasing the jobs that you don't, you don't want, but you have to kind of let go of them and have that, that uncertainty that maybe you won't uh, have work soon, but you need to make that plunge to, push yourself in the right direction and then and really focus on the jobs that you're trying to achieve
1: when you were just doing synthetic turf installs those leads what were the avenue uh that they were coming in were they mostly referrals website based and then looking at where you're at today with with hardscape installs and everything going on what are those avenue like like are they comparable to what they were before website referral based and like we're comparing those two well um i
0: think uh They're pretty similar. Um, the referrals, like the referrals are still our, our strongest lead source. Um, if someone refers us from, you know, we did a job, they pass our name to their friend or something, but it's changed a little bit more now. Um, we, uh, like we're friends with, um, a lot of people on Instagram now, and, uh, even contractors that are in our hometown here, um, we get a lot of leads from them. Um, I have a couple general contractors that we work with and um, they give us work. I'm friends with a few, few landscapers um, who I met off Instagram, believe it or not. And we, you know, started talking and chatting. And then uh, before you know it, they're like, uh, you know, they don't do artificial graphs. So any turf lead that comes in, they're kind of uh, throwing that at us and, and all of these jobs are way more pre-qualified. They're way better leads. It's almost a done deal when once they you know ask for some pricing. Not all of them, but um, they're just so much easier to to vet and know that they're a quality lead because you know they've probably already had like a landscape designer come in and and take a look at everything and draw up stuff, and so they've already invested. They've already spent money on a design, and uh, so just uh having a good community and um that has helped us so much um and and just being around um, a little bit longer now we've kind of we've got a better name for ourselves now and uh, we've got the trust of some other contractors um so we get a lot of our leads from i think there's like there's three uh landscape contractors that don't do pavers or don't do hardscapes and artificial grass so we get a lot from them. Um, that has been huge, uh, Fredericks and landscaping. Um, they're on Instagram too. They've, uh, they've been great. Um, we've been doing a lot of jobs with them kind of tag team and jobs where they do the landscape and we do the hardscapes. Um, and then what else? Um, stone yards. Um, all of my, uh, I have like two different stone yards that are close to me that I always go to. And I've been going to them for, I don't know, close to 10 years. And uh, just making a good relationship with those guys has has been really great. We've gotten some of our best projects, some of our biggest jobs from uh, those stoneyard uh, referrals. So those have been great. You know, the hardscape stores. Just uh, being nice to those people. You know, don't don't hit dick and piss those guys off. And I mean, that that goes a long way, right there. You know, you put your business cards up in their store and. Just kind of remind them that you're, you know, you're in the area and uh, you're you'd love to, you know, get more leads and they uh, remember you and pass your card along. And uh, that's been great. Word of mouth is the biggest thing. And um, and then these other these other sources have been have been great for us, too.
1: Yeah, I can vouch for I, I started in the industry working for a supplier, so I can definitely vouch for being nice to the supplier. <laughs> yeah, it uh, really goes a long way with getting uh, the right service and getting the right referrals from yeah, them for too. Sure. So. so how about your sales process? Let, let's get into uh, when somebody contacts you, where do you take that from there, whether they email you, call you, text you? Uh, where do you go about setting up a consultation with them? Uh do you well we'll we'll get into that. So what do you do about setting up a consultation and what are you going to talk about and uh get into on that initial consultation?
0: If someone calls me in the middle of the day and uh I take the phone call, um I usually try to you know have them open up on the phone call if you know I'm interested in the lead, have them uh tell me about their project. Um I don't because I used to make this mistake a lot in the past, I would um, have a really short phone call. They say, Hey, we want uh, turf and some landscaping in our yard. Um, can you come take a look? And then you're like, okay, uh, sure. Uh, what time works best for you? And then uh, basically the whole, the whole process is um, controlled by them. And then you might go there and check it out and it's not even something you want, or it is something you want, but their, their idea of price is so far off that you shouldn't have even gone and uh, looked at it because they weren't going to spend the money anyways. So I had a lot of that happening, um, in the past. And, uh, so, so nowadays, um, and especially with, uh, everything that's gone with uh, COVID and everything, um, now I, I take a phone call. I try to get them to talk about their job with as much detail as possible. And then, uh, I always ask them, you know, how did they hear about us? Um, cause I want to know if it's from, you know, the stone yard or referrals or how did they hear about us? A lot of phone calls come from, I'd say about half from like our website or Yelp, or like they just found us online. And those are the ones I really want to vet cause they might just be price shopping on those, on those leads a lot of the time. So um, recently I've been, just having them, I've been doing more of this, just having them like, shoot me some pictures of the job. And, um, if they can just give me some rough measurements and, um, that will, uh, if they, if not, they're not willing to do that, then, you know, they probably won't do the job anyways. But, um, I usually say, Hey, you know, we're backed up like two or three weeks. I can't even get out there for a couple weeks. Um, like, are you willing to, you know, if you could please send me a couple photos of the yard in the meantime and some rough um, measurements, and from there I can just give you a rough price. Like, and that will that will determine whether you know they want to even do the job or not. It'll give them a, a ballpark of of what it's going to cost, and then they might say, oh, that's that sounds reasonable, or no, that sounds way way more than we we're thinking. So then at that point, you know, you're not going to go see the job if they already said they can't afford it. Um, so that's been really big, like, especially with COVID, um, like I think in, in the whole construction industry, um, just, it just ramped up so much more. Once they kind of got over the initial hump of the whole fear and everyone stopped, stopped booking. But, um, once everyone is at home and, um, sitting around, you know, not spending money on vacations and stuff, they started just pouring money into their, their houses. And um, so we started getting so busy that uh, we were having to be very selective about what job we were going to take or go and look at because we just didn't have enough time to look at everything and entertain everyone. So I, I started just doing the, uh, you know, basically just text message and Figure it out, um, pictures and things like that, and giving them quick um, rough pricing, and uh, definitely definitely helped vet our customers and not waste too much time driving around.
1: How about consultations? Do you charge for them, and why or why not?
0: We have charged for them, and I don't think it's a bad idea. Um, like during the last year during COVID, I did start charging. I charge anywhere from a hundred or fifty dollars to a hundred dollars. And um, it wasn't. Uh, I didn't really get any too much friction off of it. A lot of the people that uh, you would say, "Hey, well, you know, you can give me some rough rough measurements and pictures, and I can give you a price over the phone, or I can do a um, in person fifty dollar consultation, but I won't be able to come out for a week or two or, or something." And if they're willing to to wait then and pay the fifty dollars, and usually we you know, we already got the job. Um, by the time we finished our conversation and everything with what they want done, I, um, you might already know that it's a quality lead, but this kind of just deterred, um, the tire kickers from wasting your time. Um, cause there's just so much volume, like of people calling last year, um, it was kind of overwhelming. So the $50 or a hundred dollar, um, fee was just kind of a way to filter out some of the the bad leads. And, um, but some of the, some of the stuff that I went and looked at, I did a couple consultations where I did, you know, it was a hundred bucks and, um, um, gave them a bunch of, you know, design ideas. There's a few properties, um, and went and looked at and helped them figure out what they're going to do with their, their whole property and stuff. So I think, uh, charging is not, um, and not a bad thing. And it, it makes people value, you, you know, as a person in the company, right off the bat, they don't, uh, they don't want to waste your time. Um, because, uh, your time is so important. And especially when you're out in the field, as much as we are as the heartscapers, you know, and, and myself, I'm just, you know, getting started. I feel like, um, I have to spend so much time in the field. I'm tired. I don't really want to go run around and, and, um, spend possibly, uh, hours at someone's house, giving them ideas, for their yard that, and they're not even going to pay for my service. So paying for our time, whether they're saying, Hey, we're going to do it ourselves. That's fine. And I can give them some good ideas, but they can at least pay for the time, but back to, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really charging anymore. I stopped doing it, but I don't feel like I, I had to, it hasn't slowed down too much, but I'm kind of back on track and, uh, being selective about the leads and, uh, pre-qualifying them has helped me I guess filter out the uh, the tough clients.
1: <laughs> when you are in that initial meeting, what are you going through with the client? Uh, especially when you you offer you know synthetic and turf installs, hardscapes, landscapes. Uh, what are you getting down to with them? What questions are you asking them specifically on that in in that initial meeting?
0: In the initial meeting, um, after the phone call, you go there. I basically want them to. Walk me around their space, and tell me everything they want. And basically, I kind of say, "Hey, like, is there any? Are there any items on your wish list that you have to have? Like, for sure, you're you have to have that. Um, and then stuff that you you want, like your want list, that you maybe not sure, but it would be cool, a cool idea or something. And uh, I try not to intervene too much in the beginning, and try to like, oh what if you did this? What if you did that? And get all crazy. Cause I don't want to like give them false expectations of what they might be able to afford or, or something. And it take the, the meeting into the wrong direction when they're only having me come out to do like a, uh paper patio. And I'm, I'm trying to do uh fire pits and waterfalls on the side or something. So I try to have them um, kind of lead the meeting and walk me around, show me what they were what they had in mind. And then once they tell me everything that they, they want, and then I can go into, Hey, like, have you thought of doing this? Or what if we, what if we shaped it out, you know, this way or, but then I I try to ask the questions like, um, you know, how many people live here? How big is your family? How many people do you anticipate? Like how many people do you usually have over for holidays and stuff? Like, do you have a big family coming over? Um, um, how much space do you think you would realistically need outside? And uh, that's usually a good question. And they usually say, oh, that's a good question. Like, where would we put our dining room or outdoor dining room table in? and, and then just try to feel out the space and give them like realistic expectations of uh, how much space they they need and how much planter space they want. Are they gardeners? Do they want like super low maintenance? Like if they're if They're like an older couple. They might not want a whole lot of uh, you know planter beds. They might want more hardscape and less planter space because they don't want to deal with you know trimming and all that stuff. So basically, kind of j- just get an idea of what what their lifestyle is like, and then um, kind of go from there. And then and then maybe you can throw on the the bells and whistles and the, the fire pits and the cool stuff and seating walls and and all that kind of, that cool stuff. And sometimes you get leads where they know exactly what they want right off the bat and they have it almost laid out for you. You just have to refine it. And those are sometimes the, the best ones cause it's an easy, easier sell.
1: Definitely. And then what about landing a job? So you, you, go, you go back, you prepare a quote, design if you need to. Uh, what, what do you do in terms of landing a job, uh, presenting the quote to the client, do you set up another schedule, uh, meeting with them, or do you present it to them through email and payment structure after that? Like what, what do you do in terms of payment structure with the client?
0: Basically our process of like bidding, um, has changed over the years. Um, we used to be just like very strictly, um, price per square foot. And, um, mm-hmm. that was, uh, that was good if you know your square foot pricing and um, you know your numbers very well, but it became like there's so many more factors involved in a job that you have to look at um, because you can be way less profitable on a this like a thousand square foot uh, turf job. Um, from one thousand square, square foot turf job to the next, you can be like half as, you know, make half the money. And uh, so, we started breaking down our our quotes based on, um, like access, uh, the complexity of the job, the type of work, the job location. And, uh, so slowly I just tried to get away from square foot pricing and, um, more, it's more about now knowing my numbers, knowing my, uh, my hourly rate. And I kind of break it down into a day rate because usually it's, you know, you know, about hey i'm going to be on this job for 2 weeks i'm going to be here for you know whatever 14 days or whatever with my guys or, or 10 days and um so basically breaking it into a day rate of what it costs me to operate the job removal type of removal um the access is huge if it's a front yard if you're going to you know bust out a front yard job versus the backyard you know what's the difference there? Um, how much more work is it to lug everything to the backyard? Do they have like a wall that here in Southern California that they have a lot of these neighborhoods packed in pretty tight and they give you like no room on the side of the house to get to the backyard. So, you know, if we can, we're going to take their gates down and, you know, rebuild them at the end of the project if we have to, but sometimes that's not even an option because it's like a cinder block wall or something in a, you know, uh, not even a three foot gate. So those jobs are tough and, uh, it might require some wheelbarrowing and uh, some hard work. So you have to factor that in to those jobs, you know, what the removal and what the base work is going to be like, how are you going to tackle that and, uh, charge more for those jobs? Because, you know, it's, it's going to be longer and it's going to be, it's going to be a tougher process. Um, so yeah, that's how we, that's how we do our pricing. Now we try to structure it off of, uh, a day rate and 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 access and things like that and location of the job so you know adding a little bit more for that drive time and
1: what made you transfer from charging per square foot charging your uh pricing your jobs like that and moving to this new system
0: what i was getting was uh you know customers they know they know like maybe the the going rate the general like square foot pricing and then they'll just straight up ask you like over the phone before a meeting would be like Mm -hmm how much are you guys per square foot? And you'd be like, Oh, I'm, you know, 12 bucks a square foot for turf or whatever, uh, 20, 25 bucks for pavers. And, and, um, it was like, a it was like, uh, you know, being at like a swap meet or something, you know, like dealing your uh, square foot price numbers. And, uh, it was just kind of annoying to be honest. Um, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, I feel like it's a cheap, cheap way of going about it. And, uh, when you yeah. know that all the processes that really go into it, I just didn't want to be like price matching other people and stuff. So I started breaking it down differently. And I actually, I actually learned this from, uh, Stanley dirt monkey. Um, I, I went on to one of his, uh, his YouTube channels and I was just, uh, I was watching some stuff, some of his videos and he straight up just like took his paper and and uh, you know showed you his contract and and uh, I I looked at, I screenshotted it and and kind of went through his contract and I was like that's so much better of a way to do it, um, basically mm-hmm. listing out the whole job description and then in it like a big paragraph basically and then down below you have it itemized um, with like. Uh, whatever it is, uh, removal, base work, um, you know, or maybe it's prep, removal, base work, install, whatever. You break it into, and then you, you just basically what that each uh, process costs, you know, put it in just like that. And because um, before I had, my contract was just way too long and I feel like it was confusing. and um, And then it just had like, square foot pricing right next to everything. So I feel like it made people think that they could bargain, you know, on the job. And I already know what I need to make on it. And they'd be like, well, what if we did it for, uh, you know, eight bucks a square foot or something? And, you know, like them just knowing all your pricing, it, it doesn't really help them or you um, get the job done. It's sort of, uh, I don't know, I feel like you're laying too much out there for them and they can just dissect your quote and start nitpicking everything and tossing things out. Not that I'm not trying to be transparent with our customers. It's just putting too much information out there for them, um, kind of, uh, doesn't help the process, I guess. So we've been moving into this structure has, uh, it actually like people don't question it very much at all. They don't say, well, what's your square foot price? Um, they're, I feel like it's an easier contract to read and it's, it's, made, it's really streamlined things a lot easier, especially with bigger projects that there's so much there. They just need to know the general, like what's being done here. So I hope I, that answered your question.
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely. And then in terms of uh, landing that project, payment terms, how do you split that up on, a, on a, say, a hardscape install? What does your payment terms kind of look like?
0: Here in California, we are actually only allowed to receive ten percent or a thousand dollars, whichever is less, for a down payment. So, if I wanted to schedule a job that's uh, a month or two out, I could only get a thousand dollars max to uh, to hold that job in place. You know, for uh, just to reserve them a spot. Um, mm-hmm. So usually, you know, I usually get maybe a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, whether just depending on our schedule and how far backed up we are, um, as a deposit. So I've done a thousand dollars. I've done that uh, a lot. And that seems to work out fine. Um, and then basically like the day we start, we'll do 30%, um, down, um, 30 or 40% down and then a progress payment. And then, uh, a completion once uh the job's completed we receive like the last thirty uh, percent, 20 or 30 percent at the end so i like to get a down payment right away when we get to the job 30 or 40 percent pays for the materials that we've probably already ordered and then um once we get uh like laying pavers um or like halfway through the process get another payment and then And then at the end, we just, you know, pick up the rest of the remainder.
1: Now, from what I understand, California is a pretty tricky state to do business in, in terms of those uh, little rules of payment and uh, permits and everything like that. Uh, Is that true? Is, Is California a pretty difficult state to do construction in?
0: Yeah, they pretty much, uh, blow all their money and then they, uh, they come after the business owners for, for their money too. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's pretty tough. Like I'm, I'm kind of jealous of other people and, you know, in, in other States, I see them like running the, you know, these, these big trucks and I'm like, I can never do that because it's just so expensive to, um, operate like just everything's expensive here, I guess. Um, they kind of nickel and dime you on everything. Like truck registration is, uh, like astronomical. The, uh, insurance is really pricey for a commercial, you know, truck insurance. Uh, there's just a lot. Um, and then, um, like they just have so many, so many stupid laws in place that, uh, just slow you down. (laughs) But I mean, they're, they're there for a reason, but they just, they just take it too far, I think. And, they make it too expensive for you to uh, to run your business so there are uh, there are some uh, tricky little um tricky little things to california uh, running a business here but um we make it work <laughs>
1: And uh, how about a horror story, Weston, if we can go there and ask you uh, anything that's kind of happened in your business, wherever you want to take it uh, in terms of anything we've talked about or anything else. Do you have a horror story you'd want to share with our audience? Yeah,
0: I got a lot of them actually, (laughs) but uh, I'll, um, I'll try to stick with this one, this one job that we did was probably the worst. Uh, the worst I ever got burned. And um, it really uh, taught me a lot, though. It, it made me get more serious about, you know, paying attention to my, my bids and my processes and how I deal with people. So I have this, uh, I have a friend, he's still a friend, he owns a pool uh, construction company, builds pools. He, uh, he hit me up. And he was like, Hey, um, I want you to um, bid out some some work for me, um i'm building this custom pool um over in fallbrook uh, and i was like okay cool and you know right away like my eyes lit up i'm like oh sweet he wants us to do like a whole paver job pool deck around the whole pool and uh um just a it was a big project i think there was like 3500 square feet of pavers around this pool deck and um there was two staircases there's two different level levels um a lower paver area around like a you know kitchen and swim up bar and stuff and then the upper area had a ton of flagstone work and then paver edging all the way around their uh, uh their lawns they had two separate big uh, lawn areas and so it was a pretty complex job and paver walkways and stuff and uh so me being uh so eager to, uh, to get a a cool job like that. I totally, uh, under underestimated what it was going to take to, to get that job done. Um, I bit off a little bit more than I could chew. I mean, we got the job done and it turned out beautiful, but, um, the process getting there was a a little bit rough because, um, you know, about halfway through the job, I, I kind of realized that I'd screwed up and I didn't charge accordingly for, for the amount of work we were doing. So that, that goes back to charging by the square foot. Like you got to get away from that if you can and know your numbers a lot better, if you're going to, you know, be successful in this business, because that one, that one hurt a lot. (laughs) Um, basically, uh, there was these two, uh, large staircases that, uh, probably, I don't know, it was probably like 10 feet of elevation change or something. And and, um, we'd only done a few smaller staircases and I had a different idea of how I was going to build them. And then the pool contractor was like, no, you need to do them like this. And <laughs> he said, you know, we're going to pour, we're going to, uh, form and pour these, uh, with concrete. And I didn't even factor that in. So then I had to have, a uh, concrete, uh, contractor, one of my buddies come in and, and pour the staircases and then um we veneered everything with with pavers to match everything and bullnose and everything and uh, so that i totally screwed up on that one <laughs> I, I didn't charge hardly anything for these for these stairs and then um just the whole process took way longer than i thought um basically i ended up losing 15 grand on that job believe it or not and uh it, it really hurt. <laughs> and I kind of started second guessing myself like, Oh shit. Like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can do this or, you know, maybe I'm not ready for the stuff. And, um, you know, I ended up putting like 10 grand uh, on this or, uh, well, 10 grand on this credit card, you know, on my business credit card and ended up being like 15 grand. But, um, you know, that, that probably took me like a year to pay off that stupid credit card. And, uh, so there, I had that that credit card bill that was like floating for a year. And uh, after that, you know, it was, it was hard to, to catch back up after you, you take a loss like that, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot now. It still is a lot, but it really made me uh, rethink uh, how I was bidding and, and how we we're charging for these jobs. And um, so, so that was a good lesson learned, I guess, just um, I think taking your time with your bids, like, if someone's rushing you on a bid, like, Hey, can you give me those numbers? Can you give me those numbers? And you're, you're just not sure and you, you haven't done your research and, and uh, gotten all your numbers scored away. Don't just throw out a number and, and hope that <laughs> hope it's a Hail Mary and it works out for you. Like you really got to, you really got to know, you know, what you're bidding and, and say, Hey, sorry, it's not ready yet. Um, I need more time. Just, I would say put those people off because a lot of times Some people feed on you, um, maybe not um, being prepared and and rushing you into giving them numbers so they can hold you to it, especially with big projects that are really complex. Like if it's too much and you're like, you're looking at it and you're trying to bid this thing all day and putting all your numbers together and you need to walk away from it for a while and uh, come back and, and, and finish up, you know, like just don't rush things. Don't do it at three in the morning, you know? because they said they needed the next day, they can probably wait. It's not the end of the world, but, uh, you gotta, you gotta cover your ass and, uh, you know, make sure that the job's going to work for you too, you know? So (laughs) I guess that's, that's all I have to say about that, uh, that horror story.
1: (laughs) And it's always good to kind of get those out there and let people know that things do go wrong and, uh, that's, that's a tough bullet to chew, but you did mention that, you know, you start to, you start to doubt yourself, especially when you see that on your credit card, right? Like how, how do you get through something like that where you, you do, we've all been there. We've all like doubted ourselves and, and had to, uh, you know, bite the bullet on something. How, How do you get over something like that? How do you get your confidence level back up? Is it just on the next job or, or what?
0: Yeah. I mean, after that, I was kind of like apprehensive about, uh, you know, just hardscapes and pavers in general. I was like, damn, like, you know, there's a lot more to this. And I feel like I felt like we were really slow, you know, at installing and like, I'm like, I, I need to, uh, reevaluate things, you know? And, um, so, you know, it probably took me like six months. I kind of, I didn't take on another paver job for a while. I kind of went back to my my old ways. And I was just doing turf jobs for a while and we were slamming those things out. And those were, those were like, uh, you know, easy for us. But, um, and then uh, I just, you know, we started, we, we did a couple more like smaller paver jobs and we, we just slowed the process down. Um, I think one of the biggest things with that job was being a subcontractor um, was tough too, because like, I would have ideas and, Hey, can we do it like this? And I had no connection with the customer. It was just straight through, a, through my buddy. And he's just like, no, we're doing it like that. No, customer doesn't like it like that. No. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I, that was tough because it it kind of put me in a bad and weird position and just not being able to, you know, connect with the customer. But, um, just getting back on track was just taking on smaller jobs and, and really, um, trying to slow the process down for my guys so they could so they could learn and not be rushing because we were like under the gun on that job and everyone hated that job by the time we were finished because I was stressed out I was obviously uh pushing that onto my guys too like come on guys we gotta go we gotta finish this thing like you know and and that's no way to work and that's just a, a great environment for mistakes to be made when you're when you're pushing your guys too hard and rushing them and and, uh, they need to, they need credit and they need, uh, they need some love and <laughs> appreciation. And, uh, you know, especially when they're learning, like you, you can't have, uh, someone hovering over you and, um, making the, the process worse. <laughs> so, yeah, we just slowed it down and started doing smaller jobs and then, and then, uh, got our confidence back and, um, just uh it started becoming a little bit more streamlined and, and easier for everyone to understand once we um wrapped our minds around it and uh just took more time to train train everyone basically
1: well weston i've, I've held you up uh, quite a long time already today take as little or as long as you want with these next two questions as we round things up here getting into installation products tools equipment any talking points that you want to get into on any of that, uh, things that are big in your business, things that you swear by, uh, anything on that you want to speak on with that? I use
0: a uh, Dynascape, our, our design software. I got Dynascape. Um, uh, I don't know, maybe three years ago now. I probably bought it a little early cause we weren't really doing like a whole lot of, uh, big time design work, but, um, I knew that I just, I wanted it. Um, I saw, I think I saw, uh, like J squared use it using Dynascape and it, it was, uh, pretty awesome. And, uh, I took AutoCAD in uh, high school and I took a class in college and, um, it, uh, from what I kind of gathered, um, AutoCAD Dynascape is basically AutoCAD, um, just more, um, geared towards landscape construction and all that. So, um, they have a huge plant uh, listing and um, they have a lot of little elements you can add in. Um, so it was a good, it was easy for me to kind of understand it um, coming from AutoCAD. It was a lot different. I mean, I, I probably didn't really learn the program for about a year. It took me a, a while to become kind of more fluent in it. but um, yeah, so uh, Dynascape has been great. Um, we can really produce a, a really professional, um, drawing now. Uh, I used to do hand drawings and I did that forever and I really enjoy hand drawing, but I had to kind of force myself to learn a program so that, um, we can make revisions easier on our design process. And, um, it's been, it's been great. Um, I think we're finally actually paying for the program. It's, it's kind of a pricey program, but now, uh, now we've gotten a little bit better at it. We're, uh, we're charging for our designs and, um, you know, paying for the program and the subscription and then some, and, you know, putting some money away with that. So, yeah. And also with, with uh, the Dynascape, uh, we, we've started designing not only for ourselves, but for some other clients. And um, we have another landscape contractor that um, we started doing some design work for. And that's actually been a really cool, cool experience because, you know, he's, uh, he knows what he's doing. He's a really uh, good landscape contractor. He builds walls and all kinds of stuff. And, um, it kind of made me, um, less lazy on the design process because it's not for me now, it's for someone else. And I can't really take my sweet time on it. And, um, he makes the revisions with me, you know, and I change things and then, um, I have his eyes on it too. So, you know, it's pushing me to, to be better than I was at the program. And, um, so that's been cool. Equipment is, uh, has been huge for us. Uh, we, we bought a, a Vermeer CTX 100, um, about a year ago now. And that has been a huge game changer for us. Um, the little mini skid steers are so efficient. Um, it's changed the way we, uh, we work, you know, and it's, it's helped out so much. Um, my guys absolutely love the machine and, and I do too. Um, we have a lot of difficult, you know, access here with the with the small side yards and, um, that thing can pretty much get anywhere. (laughs) And, uh, we do the plywood highways every time anywhere we can. We try to get that machine on site, you know, every job we're on nowadays. So, um, just helps so much with moving bulk material and moving, even a, it moves about a half a pallet, but you just, uh, you know, you can get a half a pallet into the backyard and, um, moving bulk stuff. It's been a huge game changer. And then, um, we just recently bought a, a little mini excavator too, a little Sani SY 16. Um, and that thing has been awesome too we, we, on that, uh, large retaining wall project, uh, we were, we were going to be, basically I, I looked at it and we were going to end up spending like 10 grand on a excavator rental. And, uh, I just had some money saved and decided just, it would be a better idea just to put a down payment on, uh, on a, a new mini X and, you know, something that's ours because yeah, it just made more sense. (laughs) And, and I wanted it to, of course. So, uh, it was, uh, it was good timing. I wasn't planning on buying that, um, excavator for like another year. Cause I knew I wanted an, a mini X. Um, but that job kind of just pushed us to, to buy it. And, uh, I, I don't regret it at all. Now we're finding all kinds of, uh, cool uses for it that we never had before, because usually it was a rental and we would try to get that thing off the job as quick as possible i uh, i rented um like before i bought any of this machinery um i rented for a couple years probably and uh before i bought the the vermeer uh i tried to rent every every type of uh little mini skid steer i could every brand i could which was basically just vermeer and ditch witch um but um i tried out like all of their different models and i kind of tried to make it like um every single job that I could use it, use one on, I would rent just so that I could get um, I kind of wanted to make it feel like if I didn't have it, it would be, it would be tough to not have it, you know, like we're going to be maybe shoveling wheelbarrows or something if, if we don't have this or, and I just tried to tried to rent every time and, and start building that into my cost and just get used to having it, that thing around. And um, once everyone kind of, you know, knew that it, you know you kind of had to have that machine at that point was when i you know I was, I was saving up and trying to make that that dream a reality and finally we we got that and it was like yes you know this thing is awesome like so much better than than where we were before so um yeah i'm a big um i think uh renting is is very uh very smart because you want to get familiar with the tools that you're, that you want and are you going to be using, of course, you can do a demo too, but I didn't do the demos until I was like close to buying it. Um, but um, yeah, just uh, like, if you're looking to buy, you know, equipment, I would, I would rent it and, and uh, feel it out and let your guys test it out and see what they like and go over pros and cons and then, and then uh, make your decision to, to buy.
1: You've mentioned a few guys already uh, from the Instagram world, but any any people that you want to give a shout out here in terms of uh, people you've asked questions to, they were really open, uh, mentors, anybody that you want to uh, shout out here as we kind of wind things down?
0: Yeah, absolutely. My good friend... Justin Roberts from uh, JR Landscaping Inc, I believe on Instagram. Um, He's the one that I've done a lot of design for and we've become good friends, uh, go surfing a lot and and hang out. Fredrickson Landscape Inc on Instagram. He's been great. He gives us a ton of work. Um, We tag team jobs with him all the time and uh, he's been great. Um, Steve from Garden Rhythms, another landscape designer, contractor great guy. Um, gosh, who else? um, pride hardscape Evan. Uh, he, he's great. Uh, he's the one who kind of pushed me to get the, uh, the Sani cause he had one. And I, I was like, I don't even know what a Sani is. What the hell is that? Um, ended up uh, kind of going in that direction. I'm glad I did. Um, uh, J squared. I love the the work that he does. It's, it's amazing. It really inspired me to push our company in this direction just seeing these awesome hardscape installs who else uh, almond landscape he's always been great he's always uh, a great resource um when i was getting started i would ask him questions and he would be quick to respond and, and help me out which uh, was very cool uh, i think that's about it that's all i can think of sorry if i uh, left anyone out
1: and uh as i asked this last question here weston thank you so much for your time to do this interview i appreciate it and uh I ask this question to close things down all the time here. And that is, what is that one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the very start? Whether that's the very start of starting EcoTurf, uh, starting in business with your brother or getting into the industry in general, what is that one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the very start?
0: I guess just have, have patience with uh, building your business, take it slow and, um, yeah, just, uh, slow it down and, and, and enjoy it because, uh, it's a, it's a fun journey and, um, uh, you have to look back at where you started from and, and appreciate all the, all the wins that you have. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, in the beginning I was so caught up in, in trying to build a business. I, I was never, never really satisfied. And, uh, but, just trying to enjoy it because it is a, is a very uh, fun, rewarding job being able to create spaces for people and um, just kind of slowing down and appreciating the whole, the whole process, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Weston, thank you so much for your time. Where can our audience go find you used to be Equiturf on Instagram. Now, where can we all uh, check out what you've got going on over there?
0: Yeah. uh, So you can find us on Instagram, WB Outdoor Inc., And, uh, also our soon to have up website of, uh, WB Outdoor Inc, uh, design build. And, um, where else? Um, I think that's basically where you're going to find us. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. It's a real honor to be on here and, uh, thanks for taking the time to interview me.
1: Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. Go check out Weston at WB Outdoor on Instagram. Let us know who you want to hear from in future episodes of the I Am a Heartskeeper series. And we'd love it if you subscribe to our podcast, left us a rating and review wherever you can. Follow us on Spotify and all that. And go check out at IQ Power Tools on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you can find them. And check out their War on Dust tour at www.iqpowertools.com. We look forward to meeting with you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast.